Thank you for tuning in to Spiritual Insights. This broadcast has been previously recorded. Calls cannot be taken, however. Your comments and questions are welcome via email at spiritualinsightsradio at gmail.com. Enjoy. Love Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio, featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Welcome to Spiritual Insights. Thank you for tuning in. We have a wonderful, wonderful segment for you today. And joining us is legendary Course in Miracles teacher and one of its earliest students, Carol M. Howe. This should be a continuation of our riveting first segment where we discussed her biography of her close personal friend, Bill Thetford, co-scribe of A Course in Miracles. So I am just so excited. And we will be discussing also her fifth installment of her remarkable eight DVD series, See How Life Works. Number five is See How Acceptance Works. So, Carol, welcome to the show. It's so happy to talk, I'm so happy to talk to you again. Oh, thank you. I'm looking forward to it myself. I remember how much fun we had the last time. Life is about having fun. It is, and I discovered after the after the last segment, um, I had accidentally called our guest caller, uh, Doug Anderson. Twice I called him Bill. And I didn't understand why I was doing that, and then I, I went into um, silence after the show, and I, said, I, I felt that I had made a, a, a mistake, and I felt bad about it. And it turned out that Bill Sefford actually was in the room, and he was pressing on my heart. Oh, my goodness gracious. Well, so, these are the times when things we have to expect anything and everything that's new, revolutionary, different, and which makes it the perfect time to to allow this series to be introduced into the world. Absolutely. So I, I guess we should say welcome to Bill as well, <laughs> because I'm sure he's with us as we as we discuss this amazing series. Give us an overview, if you would, of what the series is about. All righty, I'll tell you what it's about and why we did it. Uh, my, I have a, a wonderful, young, brilliant, talented filming partner, and he... He and I visited a couple of years ago, actually about two and a half years ago, and he said, I have searched all over the Internet, and there's just not anything that is simple and clear and easy in video form about the overarching principles of A Course in Miracles. And so we, we checked to make sure that what we were saying is correct, and so we thought, well, if nobody's done this, it must be ours to do. And so we have created an eight-part DVD series. In other words, we have already filmed eight segments ranging from an hour and 45 minutes to maybe two hours and 10 minutes. It varies a little bit. Okay. Uh, on eight different topics. 
And because what I have found over the years is many places as I've been and people that I've talked to, that so often people are students of A Course in Miracles, but unfortunately not practitioners. In other words, there's the attempt to learn it and study it and understand it, all of which is wonderful and necessary. But if you stop at that and you don't attempt to actually put it into practice when you lose your peace of mind, then you've missed the entire point. And I can tell by the kind of questions people ask that that often is the case. They might have been around it for a long time, but they are not yet deriving the benefits that could be derived. And therefore, we thought, well, we need to put together this package that can greatly aid in that process. So we started out with the first one that just says, see how A Course in Miracles works, is not only where it came from, but why it came, how it works, what can you expect to happen. In other words, what it's, basic function is, and that, of course, is germane to all the rest of them, which are ideas about how to put it into practice, but to be very brief about it, we it's basically uh, a spiritual technology, since we like those technical-sounding words. Its oh. purpose is to help us reprogram all of the unfortunate programming and conditioning that we acquire in our very very earliest days where we do not have the discerning function in the brain available to us yet. That doesn't come online and mature until many years later. So as I have said, none of us get to be the age of five or six without having, uh, uh, shall we say, put together, like, like misconnected the dots with the information that we're given and we feel in some way inadequate or not okay or undeserving or unworthy, none of which is true about anybody. And the Mm -hmm. overall purpose of the Course is to help us recognize that we're being driven by that programming and change it. The purpose of the Course is to help us change that programming and conditioning so that we have access to our birthright of peace and happiness and abundance and and able to live our lives happily and safely, we can't do it with that programming in place that that um, sabotages our own peace of mind. So that's no, the short I, version. Yeah, <laughs> no, that was beautiful, and I agree. So many of us are, we're so tired. I think we're a tired society. I think, you know, we struggle so hard, but and, and very few people realize what we're struggling with is ourselves. And so many a- absolutely, of us... Absolutely, absolutely. And so many of us traverse across this bridge of intention and say, I'm going to change my life. And, and even if we get the idea that in order to do that, we have to first change our minds, we go across that bridge and then get to the gateway of transformation. And then something stops us from stepping through the gate. And is, that's what you deal with in this beautiful installment on, on see how acceptance works. It's like we're stopped by our fear. We're stopped mm. because all of our programming and conditioning is basically fear-based because all young animals, including human beings, for all of us, job one is survival. We're trying to stay alive. And we're not human beings. We're not only trying to stay alive physically, We're trying to stay alive, you might say, psychologically. And so very early on, we begin to adapt in whatever way we have to adapt to avoid pain or punishment 
and and go toward what feels safer and more comfortable and so on. And, oh, my gosh, do we get ourselves confused about that. And so we grow up being adults, not realizing that we are as programmed as a modern-day computer. We're just like a little stimulus response system. A certain kind of stimulus comes in, and from out of that programming comes a response. And we just kind of mindlessly walk through our lives and then wonder, why isn't this fun? Why do I feel lacking? Why do I feel scared? Why do I feel limited? It's because the programming that was, you shall we say, inadvertently, but it occurs to everybody, you put into place like our worldview is correct and accurate. And, of course, mm. it isn't. No. And as Socrates, Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. What that really refers to, if you don't begin to see how you're operating out of your programming that limits you and change it, which, of course, the Course helps us do, then it's not going to be very much fun, for sure. Mm, And you're going to be very, very weary of carrying the burden of believing something about yourself that's not true, that interferes with your own energy field, if you will. Yes. It's just a shame. And so we thought, and the course, of course, is to remedy that. It helps, its purpose is to bring up those things that we believe about ourselves that are inaccurate, unhelpful, untrue, and replace them with something that moves toward uh, being able to experience the truth of us. As it says, you can't, we can't be taught about love, but we can be guided in our way of thinking and therefore our way of acting and feeling and so on so that ultimately that experience becomes available to us. Mm. I love it. And, and that's just the only way it works. <laughs> in other words, is, it is the way it works. We become, we become deprogrammed and reprogrammed to use modern parlance. Right. And, and of course, in miracles, any, any student can tell you, um, it can be complicated. Um, and that's where the teachers come in, but you have provided the world with this series that gives practical explanations, definitions, and and you you like me you like to teach using visual aids and props so and it's a very effective in getting your point across so in this in this DVD um, you again revisit all the pro- all the wonderful visuals um, that you use to help people embrace the idea of acceptance and you did a beautiful job from the outset when the DVD started I found it to be very calming. And Wonderful. in the beginning, with the through the soothing voice of the narrator and the beautiful graphics that were displayed, it very I felt very centered and ready to receive the information. So I thought that was um, a brilliant, um, brilliant job done on, at, especially the beginning, which kind of set the stage for me. And Wonderful. then you go into your your eloquent uh, teaching style. Um, have you gotten other similar? Uh, feedback. Feedback. We we have gotten so many over the top responses that it would be just embarrassing to tell you all the things that people said about it. They just love it because finally, 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 they can wrap their arms around what it's doing and what our part in it is. And acceptance is the one I think I started out saying of all the topics that we cover. 
they are all really the highlights and the crucially important parts of the course or of any valid spiritual practice. But the word acceptance, which of course is is in fact forgiveness, is so universally misunderstood. And by the way, uh, of course people won't know this until they watch the DVDs, over the tw- a 20-year period, I've designed, created, and designed, and with the help of people like carpenters and so on, to mm-hmm. build these big teaching models, which become something like visual parables. Because when you can see a point that's being made, you engage a different part of your brain, and it's just helpful in addition to the auditory part. But we try to make visual these main metaphysical principles by which we live and when we don't understand the principles by which we live and by the way we don't have any choice about living by the principles then we feel frustrated and scared and we don't know what to do or anything else but acceptance is so misunderstood so i would be happy to launch into that if yes i would like like. in the Uh, in the dvd that's exactly where i want to start um you discuss um, how we grow up understanding the world to be fearful and full of attack and then coming to understand the world as a harmless illusion, which is difficult for many of us to say, well, this just isn't real because it feels so real. Tell us about the harmless illusion and then if you would go right into the experience of acceptance and unity. Exactly. And to only hear the words... As the Course would say, there, uh, harm and loss aren't actually happening. They are a result in our own subjective experience. The, the sense that loss and harm is happening is part of our own subjective experience based on our often unconscious guilt and fear. Because when we're afraid and we think we're guilty, we expect and sense punishment. And so one doesn't expect anybody to say, oh, yes, look around the world. I can just buy into this, that there's no harm and loss. But it says, in reality, the spirit of you, the the truth of you, the truth of everyone else is beyond the reach of anything that could change our own loving nature. So the no harm and loss part relates to what we really, in fact, are. And by continuing to change our minds about ourselves and others and to stop the relentless self-attack, which then ends up being an attack on others as well, we can come to that place where our daily experience, our own subjective daily experience, feels safe and abundant, and there is no sense of harm and loss in it. You can watch on television and you can say, well, yeah, there's harm and loss going on someplace else, But in your own experience, you come more and more and more to a place of peace. Now, why is that important? Because we're all in this together. There really is one collective mind. And as each, to use our dualistic language, one of us, moves greater to a greater and greater extent into our own peace, we, we, in a maximal way, add in defusing and calming down the heat on the planet as we use that term. In other words, we have to speak as if the world were an actual place because it's silly to act to speak as if it weren't here since we appear to be here. But right. never underestimate the good that we do 
by becoming peaceful ourselves. For the collective unconscious. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. We aid in defusing the conflict in seemingly other parts of the world as we heal our own internal conflict. That's our greatest contribution. And it follows universal law. We are all connected. Energy is energy. It is always moving. And what we project is what we will perceive. And what we extend is what we offer the rest of the planet. Absolutely. Absolutely. So this business about acceptance. Mm -hmm. First of all, if I just ask anybody, what do you think that word means? Most people, and it doesn't matter if you're a course student or a metaphysician or whatever, so many people have learned to believe that Acceptance means resignation. You can hear people say, "Well, you're just going to have to accept that." Right. Well, that that doesn't. <laughs> there's nothing loving and healing about that because what that translates into, you're just going to have to resign yourself to this. Uh. That's not acceptance as we're speaking of acceptance. People also sometimes think it means, "Well, it means I approve of it." You know, if I accept that bad behavior is happening. That means I think it's a good idea. No way. That's not what it means at all. Or, Those are two different polarities to it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or people will think, well, I guess it means I just have to roll over and be a doormat. I just Power- have to let people walk all over me. <laughs> Powerlessness. Powerlessness and submission to something you see as greater than yourself. Resign Absolutely. yourself to the fact that, that it happened and that you're the victim. And you can't. Get out of that. You get stuck. You cannot move. You, you, there's, not, there's not the slightest possibility of healing if you think that's what acceptance is. Mm. Because in the first case, resignation, you may not be taking outward action. You might say, oh, I just have to resign my this. In other words, you stop trying to take actions, but in your own mind you're still hating it, resisting it, wishing it weren't there, trying to make it go away hating mm-hmm. the fact that you've got to deal with it. So, hey, the fact that you're and, not doing resisting actions doesn't mean anything at all with that kind of resistance in the mind. So acceptance simply says it doesn't imply any judgment about anything one way or the other. It just says this is what is so this moment. And, and I will not make an enemy of what's so in this moment and not wanting to change the outcome or the circumstances in any way. Well, because at the ego level, we can't. In other words, the ego considers itself the great fixer and transformer of things, when, of course, it's impotent. That's not the way change happens. Change happens by changing my mind. So although the ego does a lot of fussing and fluffing around with about how it's going to fix things or change things, change and improvement, because we presume we want improvement, comes from changing my mind, realizing that my outer circumstances are always an exact equivalent of my, cha- of my state of mind. So I better be dealing with my state of mind. Now, what happens when I decide, let's say something is happening that heretofore I would have said, I hate this, I don't want this to happen, I feel like I'm losing out, you know, whatever it may be. Or it mm-hmm. could be an illness that you or someone else has. It could just be something that there's there's nothing you you may have tried there's nothing else you can do about it and if you just say this is what's so without any decision that it's good or bad should be or shouldn't be 
mm-hmm. you simply welcome and acknowledge that this element, whatever it may be, is happening. That includes the way you feel, which is a big one for everybody. Yes. This is what's happening now. Now, the reason why that works is because one example that I have probably used often, and I have no idea if we used this before, but if, for instance, you put an ice cube in a pan and you set that pan on the fire, then you know from your very early science days that the heat applied to the pan will cause the molecules in that ice cube to quicken and move faster. And the process, yes. in that process the solid becomes a liquid. Mm-hmm. And if you keep the fire under the pan long enough, it will turn from a liquid to steam. And everything will simply disappear from the pan. There won't be mm-hmm. anything left. The steam will escape. Well, when we accept without judgment, without fear, without trying to fix, without fighting against, it's as if we're providing heat. So if you could imagine that whatever this problem is that you've decided is unacceptable, if you just imagine that it was an ice cube and your and your acceptance is applying heat to it so that it can change its state to something else. Yes. Because acceptance is really love. It really is a quickening agent. And you think, okay, well, if I can see why I'm going to accept something rather than somebody just saying you ought to do it, And that is the process. This is very important. This is the process of, quote, turning something over to the Holy Spirit. Mm. That's a beautiful way to explain the the importance of the process. Go ahead. So often? so, So often I will hear people say, well, I just keep turning this over to the Holy Spirit and nothing happens. And I'll say, well, so... Where do you think the Holy Spirit is, and what do you think it is? Because often, if I'm talking to somebody in person, you almost can watch the body language. You can can watch an arm kind of extend, like I'm trying to give it away. I'm trying to get rid of it. In other words, it's often seen as a spiritualized version of trying to get rid of something. But the key is I still have that fighting against mindset you can hear it in the voice of, I'm trying to get rid of it, except now I'm just going to do it through this fancy new Holy Spirit way. All that mm-hmm. no more does anything than fly into the moon. Because mm-hmm. think what the Holy Spirit is and where it is. It's the very core of your being, and it's right where you are. So the idea of an outer uh, throwing away, so to speak, first of all, is intellectual, and secondly, it misses the point entirely of what this giving to the Holy Spirit process really is. And I've had some kind of amazing experiences with that and know very clearly that when you sit or stand, depending upon what it is, Mm -hmm. and you completely accept a situation or a feeling because we so don't like to accept the way we feel, That's another story. But nevertheless, whatever the distress is that's associated with what's happening can disappear in an instant. And it's because I liken, and we've got 
some animation. We have animations, of course, throughout these DVDs, and one of them we have in the second part is I had an experience where it was like the Holy Spirit is like a self-cleaning oven that's going on within you all the time and within you. Uh-huh. Of course, not doesn't mean within your body, but within your own presence. Uh-huh. And by owning it, by saying, yes, this is what's so now, this is the way I feel now, you're you're internalizing it, which is where the Holy Spirit is, and I and it was like it's like putting stuff into an ongoing self-cleaning oven. But we have to if if a, if something is going to be transformed in a self-cleaning oven, I have to bring what has to be transformed to the transforming agent. An yes. example would be, and it's also I believe in the second half, is that. If any of us have gone camping, I lived in Colorado for many years, and I've spent a lot of time up in the mountains around campfires. And so if you had this wonderful campfire and people sitting around it and you think, why is my food not cooking? But your food is still in the cooler in the back of your car. Uh (laughs) You can have the greatest fire in the world, but it's not going to cook your food because you're not bringing the food to it. Yes, yes. And in the same way, acceptance brings whatever the whatever the situation, feeling, whatever it may be that we associate with distress. If we will simply accept it, it's like putting the food on the fire to be cooked slash transformed. Yes. It's like the Holy Spirit is like a transforming fire within us, always operative, always present. And the more I say, yes, this is what's so in my life, no judgment about it. Okay, yes, this is what's so in my life, no judgment about it. It's as if I'm constantly allowing a transforming of my daily life. This is very exciting. And almost nobody knows about it. What a shame. We've got this marvelous um, aspect of our being operating on our behalf all the time, and we don't know it. Right. It's like having this great room with filled with treasure in your house and you don't know the room is there. And so you languish and say, I don't have enough money, I don't have a job, and nobody loves me. And you think, as I think I have said, we, it should be turned into a comedy. It's so crazy. Yes. Well, it's an intellectual, it, it's merely an intellectual understanding of the law of cause and effect. Absolutely. But to really experience the law of cause and effect, acceptance is the doorway through which you have to step. Correct. Absolutely, absolutely. That's why in my in the early days in in audio versions of this, I always called it acceptance is the gateway to transformation. Uh-huh. If you walk through that door of acceptance of saying yes, and it's so foreign to us because from our earliest days we're taught that. If we're uncomfortable in a situation, run from it, resist it, fight it, hide it, do whatever you have to do not to experience what you're actually experiencing. Well, no wonder we're addicted to everything in the world. We're trying so hard to do everything except the one thing that will work. Yes. Isn't that just amazing? Yes, it is amazing. Why do you suppose that the ego is so resistant to the law of cause and effect and grasping the reality of what is. <laughs> because if you do this, 
This is, in effect, the undoing of the ego. Of course it doesn't want you to do this. But we have to learn, well, you're a terrible advisor and counselor. Why am I listening to you? (laughs) You're not my friend, although you pretend to be. So that mm-hmm. sense of self, that we, which is just nothing but this big collection of beliefs that we hold about ourselves, they are unhelpful beliefs. So by definition, the ego, which is just a handle to conveniently refer to all of this massive amount of stuff we've learned about ourselves, it's not true. It's, in, it's, it's all about self-preservation. So it doesn't mm-hmm. want you asking relevant questions and being mindful about what you're doing and changing your mind, but that, of course, is exactly what we must do. And acceptance is absolutely essential because what we, the reason we, we fight against anything is because we don't like the feeling we feel associated with it. Right. In other words, it's the feeling we're trying to avoid. When we try to avoid a person or a place or a situation, we're really trying to avoid the 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 feeling state that that triggers for us right so when you're standing in the dark with those feelings if we can simply um build the muscle of taking whatever the situation is and holding it up into the light of acceptance Mm -hmm. and then acknowledging accepting and, and taking ownership of the emotions that you're currently experiencing which are only byproducts of thought then we can release them and get back to our right minds and our experience of peace and unity. Absolutely. And and what I like to help people see is we have to do two things. It's like two pillars here. One is we have to accept and feel the feelings. And and we so associate, well, if I'm feeling distress or pain or upset, that's not good. We've decided that that's not good. Nobody ever says, well, who decided that it's not good? <laughs> and we just have all made up a big story that it means something about us, that it's awful, it shouldn't be happening. And nobody ever says, oh, really? Well, how come and why? Mm-hmm. So, But at the feeling level, we must simply allow them to be without thought. And people will say, okay, I tried that and it didn't work. I said, well, Mm. did you feel your feelings or were you thinking about your feelings? Thinking like, where did this come from? Who's responsible? When is it going away? Why does this have to happen to me? It's like, well, it's not going to go away because all those thoughts are putting you in big resistance to the situation. So non-resistance means non-resistance. It means I say, yes, so what needs to happen, and this is an extremely important distinction, you need to accept and feel those feelings, and sometimes they can disappear, I mean in a heartbeat. When mm-hmm. you actually feel them, they go away. They do. On the other, other hand, the thoughts that generate those feelings must be challenged. Now, notice I'm using a verb challenge, yes. not fought against. Challenge means to say, hey, why am I doing this? Why am I paying attention to this? I think I'm going to change my mind. because So one is the short-term fix, one is the long-term fix. It would be like if you cut yourself badly, for instance, you would Mm -hmm. take yourself to the emergency room and get yourself stitched up. And then when you're reasonably safe and comfortable, you could say, how can I avoid doing that again? 
But you don't, the first step is, as you're bleeding all over your kitchen, is not, how can I avoid this again? You go take care of what you need to take care of. Yes, and to address the, it, what's it's in front the, of you. Yeah, it's the thoughts that have caused the feelings. So if I have, if I have, if my thought is so off track that I have caused those feelings of feeling mm-hmm. unloved or uncared for or unwanted or undeserving or unworthy or I don't measure up or I mean those are the kind of the ideas that are associated with feelings, but the feelings mm-hmm. are of distress or pain or grief or sadness or anger or all those kinds of things. All if I will feel the feelings and let them settle, then I can do a little reverse engineering back up to find the thought pattern that I'm entertaining that caused them in the first place. Exactly. Those need to be traded in on a new model. Uh-huh. Yes. Does that make but sense? Absolutely, and I want to just clarify this really succinctly. So what we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen, is that we're saying, you know, thoughts generate the feelings that we feel. And then we sit and we resist them by thinking about them. However, emotions are simply energy in motion. We've all heard this phrase, but it's true. Emotions are just energy in motion. And it is their their sole purpose is to keep moving. They want to move. They want to continue on. It's energy and it cannot rest. But... When we sit and think about our feelings, we trap them inside the body where they then seem augmented and larger than we are and we can't handle this and they appear to the ego to be larger than us, difficult to handle. However, what Carol and I are saying is when you stop, just stop, quiet the mind, sit and feel what you're feeling and say, I feel angry, I feel sad, I feel helpless, I feel hopeless. You then allow, you, you take this, the shackles of the thoughts off the emotion and in, through acceptance, or through acknowledgement and then acceptance, you will then feel that emotion dissolve. And exactly. so my, my question for you, Carol, is in the DVD you discussed the two thought systems similar to your two pillars. What was the second pillar? Uh, the first one was feelings and what was number two? Well, in this case, it's not the same as the thing in the DVD. It's just that right. thoughts are handled one way and feelings are handled another. We tend gotcha. to mix them up. The feelings you just want to allow to be there, and they will transform to something else. The thoughts you don't want to allow to be there. You want to say, huh, look, this is a problem. I'm going to change those thoughts. Because that's something I must do. I have the capacity to change my mind, and I must. The reason why, from a very fast neuroscience point of view, was interesting. Mm-hmm. I was doing a little neuroscience in a lecture out at, in the, at the Miracle Distribution Center's annual conference in August, and and I, you know, in an hour and fifteen minutes, it's hard to solve all the problems of the world. But I threw in a little neuroscience because that's helpful to people. And a lady came up afterwards, and she said. I've been doing brain research for 28 years, and I want you to know that everything you said was exactly correct. <laughs> I thought, good, I'm glad. I presumed it was exactly correct. It was nice to have a brain scientist say, yes, it was exactly correct. So the important part of exactly correct here is now it's proven science, not just um, an assumption, that there is the way the process works is the nature of our thoughts 
causes different kinds of chemicals to be, we send, we send signals to the brain to uh-huh. create different kinds of chemical cocktails. We know about the chemical cocktail that is related to stress, adrenaline, corticosteroids, things like that. Yeah. And But we, we signal the brain to make up that very toxic, by the way, chemical cocktail it then floods the body. There was a belief years ago that that the neurotransmitters created by the brain stayed in the brain. Well, that's not true. They they flood the body. They're taken up in the receptor sites in the cells, and it's that particular chemical cocktail taken up inside our 50 trillion cells that causes the feelings that we're having. So there is a specific hierarchy, thoughts, induce chemical activity, which then results in our feeling state. Mm. Well, once we've gotten to the stage of feeling the way we feel because of misthought up at the top of the food chain, then the way I can dispel that and transform it into something else is to simply feel it. Like you say, let those feelings, in a sense, pass through instead of putting up a dam and not letting them move. Right, go with the flow of the emotion. Absolutely. So that's why that's the first thing that must be done is to feel how you feel, which allows that feeling to transmute into something else. Then I need to go and say, huh, you know what, I'm really realizing that in certain situations I think I'm no good or I think nobody loves me or I think I don't measure up. In other words, to go back and look at some of those very early thought patterns that have gotten such a hold, and those must be changed. Because when you begin to think, you know what, I am beloved no matter what. I might make mistakes and I'm still learning, but I have a right to be here. I am still the grace and the purity and the love and the blessing that as I was created by my creator and I have no capacity to change my basic nature. So when you begin to live out of that, I'm loved and I'm safe and I have a a mission that's mine on this planet that contributes to everything and everybody, that thought pattern creates a wildly different chemical cocktail than the one of I'm no good, which is a stressor to the body. And yes. and you will find then that less and less and less is it even possible for anything to to occur that's going to result in the body chemistry that will allow you to feel awful. Oh. And should you slip back into some old programming, then you immediately know what to do about it. But daily on a gradual basis as you continue to change the way you regard yourself and others your feeling state is going to change accordingly because it's a hand in glove matter yes and so that's why you must feel how you feel and of course you you're happy to feel how you feel and you love how you feel but if you're in distress you must feel it and as you said otherwise you you pretend like it's got the power and you don't well, mm-hmm. what a crummy deal is that, and how very untrue. The minute I say, you know what, I'm feeling this. I'm not going to think about it. I'm simply going to grieve. I'm simply going to be in pain. I'm simply going to feel how I feel. Then we can get something done. 
you can you can feel your equilibrium restored, and then you can go back to, okay, now, here I'm going to practice. You can practice lessons from A Course in Miracles. You can practice any other valid spiritual path. And to be a valid spiritual path, it's got to have this reprogramming function where you can begin to see all the ways you criticize yourself, you listen to that ego mind tear you down, and just become mindful of that and stop. You can't right. just be mindful of it and continue to do it. You have to no. become mindful so you can say, well, this isn't helpful, and there's a direct link between my thought patterns and how I feel. So, And I consider gonna... mindfulness to be full of awareness of what's going on in your yeah. mind. Your mind Absolutely. is your own business. Mind, mind your business. It's Absolutely. the thought. Absolutely. And, and so you're saying... Thing... I'm saying that nobody can get it. And when we say, that person made me so mad, that person made me feel terrible, it's like, well, that's just ridiculous. Nobody gets inside your brain and Mm -hmm. messes with your body chemistry but you. Mm -hmm. So if somebody may be doing something that's despicable, you still have the option to see that as a call for help or you can see it as an attack upon yourself, and you will feel two different ways accordingly, depending upon how you hear it, how you decide to perceive it. And And we have the option. We can see it lovingly. We can see Mm -hmm. it from that much broader perspective of if someone else, quote, because it's really us we're looking at, if us, you know, someone else or me, is behaving unlovingly, it's because I have been drawn back into my fear. And mm. and it's really a call for help. All unloving behavior is really a call for help. It's not just their call for help, it's my call for help. And if it's a call for help, I can either answer it by by being non-judgmental, by letting go of grievances, by being compassionate in my response, and that doesn't mean that if somebody's trying to shoot somebody else, I just go off and sing someplace. If I have to take no. action, I that's take imminent appropriate danger. action. That's not, that's not fear. Yeah. That's imminent danger. If yeah. a car's headed your way or someone's got a gun pointed at yeah. you, that's danger. That's that's something entirely you just, you know, you outside just, of you take, you, Yes, you take appropriate action. But if somebody is behaving, if, if you've got bullying going on in school, mm. then which there's so much talk about now, Nobody bullies somebody unless they feel afraid and lonely and unloved themselves. Absolutely and true. And so, so, so much behavior can be altered by recognizing that that's the root of that behavior mm-hmm. and offering to someone what they are obviously not feeling within themselves or they wouldn't be behaving that way. So I can stay in that observer position if I choose and we're asked to continue to choose once again, over and over and over and over again, that mm-hmm. I just, we, you can move into a place of staying almost all the time. I mean, we all have our moments in a, with a compassionate view of the world so that you don't say, oh, I hate all those people in Congress. You know, a lot of people are feeling that way. And it's like, well, that, that's not really helpful. It's really helpful to recognize we have a batch of people who are all driven by fear. Uh-huh. And, and driven by egocentricity, well, you know what? The response to fear is love. 
It's, yes. it's our recognition and understanding and withholding our judgment about that. Yes, It just Absolutely. kind of is what it is. Mm-hmm. And to encapsulate what we're saying, basically, what we're saying is to feel how you feel. Then determine the generating thought that produced the feeling that you're experiencing, which gives you a chance to reverse the thought to generate new feelings based in truth, not based in the deceptions of the ego, that you are unworthy of happiness, pleasure, abundance, anything. But, so when we consider then the two thought systems where we either feel beloved, where we experience peace, or when we feel unworthy, where we experience con- consistent conflict, yeah. which is, which is um, married to the ego's presentation of our inner state of mind. Mm-hmm. What, what I want to ask you, Carol, is tell us about the Holy Spirit's function in this process. The Holy Spirit's function is transformative. It is the transforming agent within us. And it's very interesting that fire is used in other religions as well. And if you remember some of your Bible stories about the disciples having tongues of fire appear over their heads and so on, in our time and space world, we consider fire transforming. It takes things and reduces it to something else, you know, rubble sometimes. But it changes, fire is associated with changing the state of something. So it's as if we have a transforming fire built into the core of our being, so to speak. And can you imagine what life can be like if on every day we just simply accept everything that's within our range of awareness we don't fight against it. We don't object to it. We don't glorify it in an inappropriate way. We simply say, yes, this is what's here now. This is what's here now. If there are elements that need to be transformed, it just they automatically kind of get swept into the transforming agent by my saying yes with that open-hearted acceptance of everything. Mm. And so its function is transforming. And... Mm. And it's in more biblical terms, it says it it can see, and, and in coarse terms, that it's both connected with, it's, it's in its unified state, but aware of what we think is true. So it's got that bridge-like function that's yeah. associated with it. But for practical purposes, it is a transforming agent. And it absolutely works. It works when we bring what must be transformed to the transforming agent. You know, if we're in resistance and denial, we do not avail ourselves of that healing capacity that's within all of us. Okay. Well, let's go to an example of how people can avail themselves of that healing capacity. And let's start with something impersonal so that our listeners can kind of get a little bit of comfort and distance from the topic Let's talk about, you know, what we're seeing in the world today on the news. Um, In the DVD, uh, you were asked a question, and your answer to the current was because the viewing audience is not interested in peace. It's why do they always 
put stuff out there that's bad or who died today and mm-hmm. how many people were in the bus that fell over the bridge. Mm-hmm. Do you feel, I know you and I can say, okay, we could sit and watch the news and kind of go into that place of observance with conscious awareness and really just watch it. But uh-huh. so many people, the natural process is to gather data. If, so, if the question in the mind is, what is the state of the world today? And then you turn on the news and then you gather the data of all the negative that happened and then the mind accepts that as truth as to what the state of the world is and it escapes you that you can change that perception. Um, then we can apply this exercise to simply watching the news. But do you feel that there is a shift taking place in the majority of people that a, the from a sense of guilt to a desire for peace and then seeking out those reflections? Well, I don't know. I I doubt that it would be accurate to say a majority of people, but it's very interesting that our wonderful quantum physicists say if you can get the square root of 1% of the population in, you might say, a meditative state, in an open, allowing state, it entrains everything else. In other words, the square root of 1% of any given population is enough to flip the whole situation. So I think it's absolutely true that more and more people are seeking better ways to regard themselves and everyone else. And with everybody, every time anybody has a more loving response to something instead of that knee-jerk, fearful, you know, go inside kind of a thing everybody is helped and i remember years ago a lady was coming to see me and she it was during the time george bush was president and she said i and i don't know if she said i can't stand to watch him or listen to him but she said i have to leave the room or turn off the tv and i said oh well that's interesting and i said if you really want to know what's going on with you Instead of running from that, because it's obviously a feeling that's being evoked. Mm-hmm. So uh, be with the feeling. And it so freaked her out that she practically went into isolation for two weeks. You know? <laughs> In other words, mm. if you, you know that you're making progress if you can sit and watch anything that's going on and you can, your first thought can be, I want, to, I want to offer love to everything and everybody because clearly what I'm seeing is a result of, a, of, a, of literal insanity, not insanity used in a pejorative sense, but of we have lost our minds. We have lost yeah. our minds to fear. And so if we can watch and say, you don't have to be condemning of one single person because I can tell you what, if we had their programming in our brains Mm-hmm. We'd be doing the same thing. Exact same thing. And so what we want to do is really, truly make it our business to try to offer. I, I simply accept the reality of everybody who may be involved in ghastly behavior. We're not pretending like ghastly behavior is not going on, but we're saying this person is more than their behavior. Their behavior is a result of their programming, but their eternal reality is not part of this and that I want to remember and focus on it brings keeps me in a place of peace and it offers peace generically to anything that will accept it mm. you know so in terms of just watching anything do so from that perspective of this isn't disturbing my peace 
because mm-hmm. I can use this as an opportunity to offer my goodwill and my great desire that they, at some point, find their peace, which they have none of at the moment, in which case their own behavior will reflect that. Yes. Actually, I got uh, I received a message a year ago with regard to tragedies uh-huh. and and um, tragedies that were taking place uh, with starting with the children in Newtown, Connecticut, mm-hmm. which I'm sure affected all of us. Um, and shortly after that, I was given uh, some guidance to offer to my students in my class. And what I received was, with regard to this tragedy and the ones to follow, without being specific, just and the tragedies to follow, what we can simply do when we're in that knee-jerk uh, reaction of fear and, oh, my God, and, you know, and, and we can't help but have those reactions. But if we can quickly remember... What I was given to say in those times where we are observing outside of us this chaos is simply to kind of close your eyes if that's available to you and simply state, I am the light of the world. And this simple statement will neutralize the fear and send energy to the people involved in whatever scenario you're observing and help bring them light. That's great. Anything that keeps us anchored in the reality of our eternal nature, of our boundless nature, of our loving nature, of our graceful nature. And it's not just ours, it's everything that ever was and is. In other words, that's the reality. That's the part of us that cannot experience harm and loss. And if if we keep remembering that on behalf of all the people who have forgotten it because of the programming and conditioning and so on, then we're doing a maximal service. And, yeah. and, of, and of course, once you're seduced into a fearful state, then conflict becomes very important because conflict is the ego's food. It can't survive without conflict, without making it a me versus you kind of thing. Yeah. It encourages that sense of duality like, I've got my turf I have to protect, and you're the person I have to protect it from. And you can just see that both mm-hmm. in indiv- individuals and in nations and so on. And it's I've, I like to not think of it as evil or immoral or anything as if right. it's a, a lack of sanity. It's a lack of awareness right. of the truth and, therefore, a call for those things. And like and you we said would earlier. Be, we would be stupid ourselves not to answer that call. Now, that doesn't mean we take ourselves over to Syria or to any other particular hot spot in the world. We can do that in our own minds. But mm-hmm. mostly we can be helpful by staying present, staying loving, staying at peace ourselves, which you cannot do as long as you think you're no good and not worthy and nobody loves you. That's why Absolutely. you've got to do some kind of a spiritual practice to upgrade those, you might say, daily residual thoughts about yourself and others. That's what the Course right. is so good at. And em- embrace and, and acknowledge the power of those thoughts so Jeez. that you can then make the conscious decision to emit the thoughts that do most for you and humanity in turn. Because when we observe those experiences of chaos and conflict, remember, like you said, all of those behaviors are a call for help, a cry for help, and it's simply the condition of separateness 
playing itself out. So exactly. to put a unifying glue over the entire situation is is to do these simple steps of remembering that we are beloved, we are worthy, and not let those experiences that you're witnessing push the buttons in you, but recognize when those buttons are pushed that you do have feelings of unworthiness or feelings of separateness and all that goes under that umbrella, feel the reaction and say, okay, now I, need to, now I know what I need to work on and what I need to release, and do the homework. It really Absolutely. makes a difference. Absolutely. It's my responsibility to change my mind about myself. And I need to realize awful stuff may have happened in your earlier days, but today's not the earlier days. Right. And you're not required to bring those stories forward they they strengthen your ego, and they're not a help at all to you. So one way of talking about our reprogramming and our reconditioning is just letting go of those old stories. They don't serve us today. They don't add to our peace of mind today. They weaken us in our right. own eyes today. And, right. you know, just last night I was talking on the phone to a friend of mine who lives in another city who had uh, some uh, two partial knee replacements and one was kind of okay but when i when i called her she was she just could not fight back the tears because she was in such tremendous pain with one of them she sent me a she took a picture of her knee with her phone and and sent me in a message i could not believe what i saw i mean it I thought that no human being's knee could possibly be this swollen. So she said, oh, I wish you were here and and could put your hands on my knee. And I said, well, you know, I'm not the fact that I'm not there physically doesn't matter. I'll put my hands on your knee anyway. In other words, mm-hmm. in my own mind, I can do that. But it was not so much the putting the hands on my knee, on her knee. So I imagine that my partner and I, my, my filming partner and I, are, are, are kind of like living in one mind together. And so I imagine that the two of us had our hands approximating her knee and that wasn't to try to do magical stuff to the knee. It was in our own loving regard for one another to include her in that. In other words, it's like we were just there loving each other and her. And I got a text from her a few minutes later, I don't know, five minutes later or ten minutes later, and she said, oh, it feels better now and I can feel this energy moving up my thigh and so now i need to have somebody bring something so i can lift my leg up i don't know how all that i don't know i don't know why one led to the desire for her leg to be lifted but i thought mm. you know love heals it does and so it's not doing some sort of magical stuff to her knee it was the decision to be in a loving place with her yeah and something and, happened and so you what, think well, if I can decide to be in a loving place generically with everybody all the time for no particular reason, just because that's our job, so to speak, and it's a delight to do, then that's helpful. It's yeah. healing. Yes. And was it her right knee? Uh, yes. Okay. It was. And it's it, it, and let's use her in, as an example. Um, she feels like a lovely woman, but in her mind, she could not experience unity with her mind she was she was struggling and, and that was of that's course what was causing of course. The, the, the swelling which is mm-hmm. the struggle in moving forward into the future but um 
I wanted to talk about the way the mind processes stuff. The, the mind only processes data. You can, most of us want to sit and say, well, let me think about it. Let me dissect it. Um, look, at what we, look at all the components and then draw my conclusion. And this is an improper use of the brain. You're mm-hmm. not going to figure anything out about chaos and conflict using the brain. But you can experience unity. Would, how, would, how would you recommend uh, a, another way of experiencing uni- unity in the world or in a relationship with anyone, any kind of relationship, coworker, romantic, children? Well, one thing is to withdraw your expectations for how they ought to be because you can't be disappointed in somebody and therefore get into conflict in your own mind if if you don't make them be uh, require them to be a certain way in your own mind so that you can be okay in other words if if however anybody is is perfectly fine with you and if it isn't perfectly fine with you if it's bringing up something that's your problem not theirs uh-huh and so certainly becoming mindful allowing relationships to uh, relationships are the fast track to healing because the things that are most unhealed in us are most triggered in relationships. Absolutely. So that you can find out most quickly what you really believe about yourself. If you're with somebody and you think, oh, they make me feel so small and unworthy. It's like nobody can make us feel this way. They can trigger our own feelings and beliefs mm-hmm. about being small and unworthy, but nobody makes us feel any way. Nobody makes us think any way. Right. They may trigger to us and make us aware of what we're doing to ourselves, but nobody does anything to us, so to speak. We've got to get. Right. We are victims only of our programming and not of what anybody else is or isn't doing. Because I'm always collaborating with them in that. Yes, and in relationships, what I think most of us experience first. Um, once you once you cross the line of conflict um, and a sense of separateness, is the um, resistance sure? And and then acceptance doesn't come in until well after resignation. So when 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 the listeners or when we look at the conflicts in our lives, especially those that are repetitive, when we can say I recognize this, then this is something that obviously we're creating from an unconscious level because what you resist persists and it will persist in a negative pattern. So when that becomes a chronic condition of resistance and bringing acceptance into whatever type of relationship you do witness this conflict, where, how do we shorten that? Like people say, you know, like I said, it, it, it takes so long to get the resignation, like, okay, I just can't fight with this anymore, and you think that's acceptance, but it's not. Nip this right. in the bud with, with a, a simple statement on how to go from, to, from conflict to acceptance in relationship. Well, you can decide, first of all, that you're going to be responsible for your own feelings, because up to this point, we obviously have made the other party responsible for my feelings, which is both psychologically and physiologically impossible. You know, so we've got ourselves wanting an impossible thing to happen. And mm. it, you, can, you can go from 
first of all, recognizing that any situation where I'm in conflict with somebody, and that's so often with the spouses, the kids, the neighbors, the coworkers, the people that you're kind of joined at the hip with and can't seem to escape from, and there's good Uh reason for that. And Uh if you can, first of all, realize, well, the first thing I need to do is improve my communication skills. I need to be able to own and express how I'm feeling without blaming the other person. I often do this with couples and say, tell them how you're feeling, say how you're feeling, but they're not responsible for it. And people have the hardest time keeping the pronoun you out of their statement. I'll stop them every time they say, well, I feel terrible when you did this. It's like, nope. Right now, and refer to whatever the triggering event was in the third party, kind of like, well, when we were at the grocery store looking for soup, somehow I felt not listened to. See, that you're just making a statement, this is what happened, mm. this is what I felt not listened to. And the other mm-hmm. party might say, what? I had no intention of not listening. In other words, you can begin to see that in so many conflicts, each person is living out of their own version, uh, their own subjectively constructed version of Mm -hmm. what happens and what it meant, and they can be wildly different. So there's, first of all, no communication going on whatsoever. In other words, because the minute you are blaming or defending, all communication has stopped. And right. now we we have entered into full-out warfare. Yep. So the first thing is to say, oh, I don't want to defend and I don't want to attack because I really do see the need to communicate, and I can only communicate if I'm communicating how I feel and what I heard and what I thought was happening and what I deduced from that. And when right. your partner hears that without your pointing the finger at him or her, there's some space for, oh, my gosh, I would never have dreamed that you thought that or believed that. In other words, they can then everything begins to fall into place. Then people can begin to, each yeah. one, tell their truth. And what I have found over the years is that every couple or people who are close together where there is discord, they they have a common element that needs to be healed and therefore this is a maximally um, helpful opportunity if people can see we've both got the same thing going on now we may respond to it very differently one may withdraw and one may scream and yell so the behavior might look opposite but the underlying belief about themselves is so identical so that if that can be reached and each one can do their own work in dealing with their own false belief about themselves, then all kinds of amazing stuff can can come into a relationship. Absolutely. And, 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 and you can and you can keep it from being a terrible relationship in the first place. My my filming partner and I have we've had an astounding relationship. I, when we started on this whole D V D thing in the first place, I said, you know what? in other enterprises I've done before because I'm much older than he is and therefore I've had a lot more experience. And I said, the the deal is this. If I'm going to be in partnership with anybody for any reason, it's going to be on one condition that on every decision that we have to make, we follow our guidance 
not listen to our ego minds. Absolutely. At, we will follow our guidance, and if we're following our guidance, we ought to be getting the same ideas about what we need to be doing about anything. Well, mm. in this two years and more, we've had thousands of decisions to make. I mean, between all the, I mean, thousands of editing decisions, little stuff, financial stuff, marketing stuff, business yeah. practice stuff. I mean, we've had so many decisions to make, and on every single one, we have been in complete accord. I love it. I love not it. I love some, it. Not just some, not just most, 100%. 100%. So when your intention, when your intention is to take responsibility for your own life and your own experience and operate out of that place of guidance from within, you know, where it's not about, well, I want my way and I've got to scent mark everything and, you know, whatever else, you can just have a quite literally out-of-this-world experience, and that's available to anybody. That's not the private property of just a few people. That's open to all of us if we can decide being at peace within myself and being at peace with you is more important than anything else. Absolutely. I mean, it's amazing what relationships can be like. And, 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 you know, we can make it easier on ourselves when we're um, in a situation with somebody where we are experiencing conflict and to pull back and say, okay, I, I would like to communicate about this and get to the core of it and learn the truth of the situation and not listen to my ego's um, whining about what it thinks is happening here. But Absolutely. you have to first extend forgiveness to, to build the platform for communication which is which should be amongst especially couples a sharing with loving curiosity and just sharing your perceptions about the situation but you've got to have the curiosity you've got to have the love and it's got to be based on forgiveness and wanting to get to the truth and you can heal any conflict using absolutely those ingredients absolutely because it's always a misunder it, actually what it always is is the situation has triggered some of my own distress but then what we pretend like is that my distress is somebody else's fault. And so this requires taking responsibility for the fact that if, my, if I am triggered, it's because I have t- a situation has occurred and I have interpreted it to mean something about me that I don't like, in other words, or about somebody else. And mm-hmm. if we could do this, and since this example fits with the fact that, that this is a video series, if you just look at an event as if a video camera were taking a picture of what was happening but did not insert any interpretation about what it meant on top of it. Exactly. You see, if we stayed in just in that observing what's going on with and not deciding that it means something about me or you or the world or anybody else, we wouldn't lose our peace of mind because it's our interpretations based on our programming that gets us into trouble. Absolutely, every time. And every so time. If we, it, can, we can retain that observer's, kind of the video camera's perspective. It's a big help. Absolutely, and I, I do believe 
there are two sides of the coin, and we cannot look at any one side of the coin, of the coin independent of the other side because right. we need to be aware of what's happening on both sides. So when you're in let's, whatever situation and when you're in conflict with another, you have to recognize that they did not make you feel this way. And the other side of that coin is the impact of your behavior is in their heads, so you can't really know the full impact of what you said or did had on them. And that's why we need communication. But you know who I think really got good at that? Dr. Thefford. When he 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 would go into his co-worker's office and sit down and not say a word. Mm Mm-hmm. And and then, if you want to tell the story briefly, but my recollection of it, he would sit there and not say a word while the man ignored him. He did. And then when it he was stopped when, doing when it. when the course was coming through, and at first he thought, I'm not going to practice this course until it's all done. I mean, you're like, why should I? And then it occurred to him, as this went on for years and years and years, well, I'm just going to see what happens. And so there was one fellow that he was crosswise with, and he decided – he would just go in, and I think his original intention was perhaps to talk to him, but when he went in, the guy just picked up his newspaper and and made a big barrier between the two of them, so Bill just sat there. He didn't say anything. He didn't do anything. He just sat there, and then he'd get up and leave, and this went on for uh, quite a long time, and then at one point, Bill was called out of town for some meeting, and he ran into this guy in the hallway who said, how come you didn't come into my office the past few days? <laughs> and, uh-huh. and it was the beginning of their talking to one another, and they ultimately became very good friends. Isn't that wonderful? But it's just a great story of you just decide, I'm not going to enter into conflict, because don't forget, when you're in conflict with someone else, it's really only mirroring the conflict that you have within yourself, the conflict between the truth of you and this pathetic little story you've made up about who you are. Mm -hmm. And that's the real conflict that has to end through the steady reprogramming that a, a valid spiritual practice allows. And as you get to be in less and less and less conflict within yourself, you automatically see both sides of things. You understand what's going on. You understand somebody else may be getting their buttons pushed, and you want to be as as patient with that as possible. So as the conflict within you, which only you can be in charge of, diminishes, you will find that your conflict with your fellow man, with the dogs, the cats, the, the bushes outside, whatever it may the be. The money. The money. All of that stops being a conflicted issue as well. When you come to peace within yourself, everything around you becomes a lovely, peaceful thing to interact with. It goes into that aforementioned flow of energy. It flows properly. It, it does. We, is we, energy not flowing properly. Right. We stop, in, we stop interfering, and I think we can close by saying a fabulous, loving presence, a fabulous, loving, and fulfilling life is, listen to what I'm going to say, always already in place. It's happening now. But we're unaware of it because of the things we believe. So we, we, have, we have introduced interference into the pattern, so to speak. And it's our job to subtract out the interference so that once again I can be aware of my birthright here while I'm still living on this planet not later after I die or some such Absolute. thing as that. That is but right here. perfect. 
That's a perfect way to end the show, Carol. I, it's just so, it's, it's always so enlightening just sitting in and having a conversation mm-hmm. with you. It really is. And so I want to tell the audience that the DVD is available right now. The series is See How Life Works. It's a series of eight DVDs. As the remaining DVDs are completed, Carol will announce them and hopefully come back to the show to discuss each one. Volume five is See How Acceptance Works. Get the DVD. It is available through the Spiritual Insights website, which is spiritualinsightsradio.weebly.com. If you would go to seehowlifeworks.com, you can gather more information about the entire series and see what else, all the wonderful topics it has to offer, which um, really pinpoint major areas of life, and Carol helps everybody understand. If you would like to read Carol's biography of Dr. Bill Thetford, Never Forget to Laugh, Personal Recollections of Bill Thetford, co-scribe of A Course in Miracles. That is also available. Simply go to Never Forget to Laugh, Dot com and pick up your copy today. It's an absolutely fabulous read because it gets us inside the very beginning when A Course in Miracles was being taken down through dictation through Dr. Helen Shuckman. And then, as like, like you say, Carol, people think he's just the guy who typed it up, but he was integral in bringing, <laughs> oh, bringing us A Course in Miracles. Get the book. Absolutely. It is absolutely fabulous. And the DVD, I thoroughly enjoyed it, Carol. I will watch it again and again. And thank you so much for coming coming back and spending time, and I really hope to talk to you soon. Is there anything you'd like to share with the audience before we sign off? No, only um, you'll love the results of doing your own work. It feels so good to live a peaceful life. So take those steps. Take those acceptance steps. And as always, it was a delight to be with you, and we'll do it again one of these days. That sounds wonderful. Thank you so much, Carol. Okay, Okay, everybody, that's our show for today. As always, God bless and be at peace. So long for now.